friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CBC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Amen. The text that we're going to be going to is 1 King 19, 1 Kings 19, excuse me. We're going to be talking about Elijah. Uh, if you have your Bible or your phone, I'll give you a chance to get to that. But 1 Kings 19. Um, and we're, like I said, talking about Elijah. And I want to set up the, the story here. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah has just done something pretty crazy. Uh, and that is, uh, and let me back up. The prophet's main goal, uh, main job, was to reveal God to the Israelites and to bring the Israelites back to God. Okay, so that, that, was, off, that was their mission. And a lot of times that was a very a lot of times, probably all the time, that was a very hard mission. And, and the prophets had lived a very tormented life because um, I don't know if, if you'd be surprised, but the Israelites didn't like to listen, right? Human nature. We don't like to listen. And so um, here's Elijah, and he, ha- he is being, um, he, there is a, a challenge that he puts against the other false gods. And uh, basically, he goes up against the other false gods, and he says, um, we're going to build an altar, and if, and if you or your false gods are real, then they're going to burn up the altar. And we're going to see what happens with my God, the one true living God. And so about 450 prophets, they, the false prophets, they come, and they, they try to conjure up uh, their prophets to burn up the altar, and nothing happens. And then um, he, Elijah com- comes over, and he's like, he builds his altar, and, and uh, he kind of even chides the, uh, the, the false gods, like, you look what you, you know, you can't even do that. And God came, and he burnt up the altar. He burnt it so much, he burnt up the water around it. it was, you have to read it. It's, a, it's one of the miracles of God. It's ama- I love all those things in the Bible. It talks about what he did in the face of false gods. It's like, yeah, got you. Got you. And so uh, Elijah just got done doing that. I, I don't know. If I was him, I'd feel pretty good about myself. I'd feel like, woo, I got this. Okay, Israelites, watch out because God is, he's, he's talking. I'm listening and we're doing some miracles. And so Elijah, what you would think, feeling pretty good, he's coming off of this big, fantastic, like, you know, thing. And, and then all, by the way, all the 50, 450 prophets uh, false prophets are killed. So not only does God do a miracle, but we ha- now we have wiped out a bunch of the enemies, okay? So he, he should be feeling good. But in 1 Kings 19, we don't see exactly that, and so that's where we're going to start. Um, what happens is, I want to read uh, 19, uh, uh, 1 Kings 19, sorry. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, okay, uh, me and Ann right here have a little bo- joke about Jezebel's, she challenged me to talk about Jezebel tonight, and she didn't know I was actually talking about Jezebel. Um, so there, okay. So um, when Ahab got home, Ahab was the king of Israel, and he was an evil king. And so what happened was um, Elijah had just, you know, shown Ahab, look, you know, look what we're doing. God is doing something. He gets home, he tells Jezebel, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. And so Jezebel sent this message, message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if this time, by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. I want to point out something very interesting in this Verse 2, so Jezebel sent the messages to, message to Elijah, may the gods strike me and even kill me if this time, by, by this time tomorrow, I have not killed you. What's, what struck me in this is that um, may the gods strike me. No, we just killed all your gods. Like, we just proved that your gods are not real. So she's not getting it, okay? So not only, like, does she just have it wrong, but, like, she's talking about gods that, aren't, that we just proved are, are all dead. And also, you just, we just killed all the false prophets. Still, even though Elijah had that big triumph, and even though Jezebel's obviously wrong and, like, messed up in the head, Elijah, in verse 3, it says, Elijah, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, in town, in the, a town in Judah, and left his servant there. Point number one, 
Fear can drive us away from the triumph God has showed us and promised us. Fear can drive us away from the triumph God has showed us and promised us. Listen, Elijah was a prophet that knew what God could do. Okay? He wasn't like some little new prophet that, that didn't have, you know, really an idea. He had seen God do a lot of things. And in fact, in 1 Kings 17, Elijah correctly predicts drought. Then he lays his body over a dead, a dead boy and prays for healing. And the dead boy comes back to life. And in uh, chapter 18, he uh, summons a king that wants to kill him. And he tells him to his face. Listen. Um. I, the, the nation is not suffering because of me. The nation is suffering because of you. And he lives through that. Okay, so we're dealing with a man who has stood in the face of a king and told him, no, it's not my problem, it's your problem. And then later, we, we, he goes on to show off in front of all the false gods and sees a near, another miracle. So Elijah has seen the miracles and promises of God, but his fear still drew him away from what, what God had showed and promised him to do. My question in reading this, and by the way, when I read scriptures, you, read, you should be reading the passage over and over again, okay? When you get to a passage that, has a que- that you have a question about, just a little tip, go ahead and read that four times. Read the entire context four times. But I, for me, I go back and I read it because I go, wait a second, why would he be afraid? Why? It doesn't, it doesn't explain why, like exactly why he would break. Okay, so um, in verse 4, it goes on to tell us how he could be afraid. So verse 4, it says, then he went on alone into the wilderness. First of all, we don't know why he goes into the wilderness. There's no clear direction from God to go into the wilderness. Traveling all day, he sat under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Um, I missed, uh, I want to point out, too, that when he went to Persheba, and I might not be saying that word right, okay, I'm not a Bible scholar, so, (laughs) I mean, I I am, but not like Josh. Um, So a lot of pressure, okay? Um, So to a town in Judah, he left his servant there. So not only uh, was he afraid of, even though in the face of what God had ordered, he left his servant. Like, so he go, went alone. And so you, you leave your, like, your sidekick. So then it says, he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Here we have a picture of what is happening. Because what we can see in this scripture is a man who is defeated, a man who has, for some reason, lost all hope, and, I'm, and I can pretty much guess, well, I know, that it's because after all the things that he did, after all the things that God did, the Israelites still were not turning their face towards God. So, you guys, he lived his life like sold out for God. Everything he did was for to tell people about God. And all of his life's work seemed to be meaning nothing. So point number two, even the most spirit-filled people can struggle with emotional resilience. Here we go. He was spirit-filled. In fact, we're going to talk about this in a little bit. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God, uh, God resided in the Holy of Holies. He did not reside li- with us like he does today, and we are the temple. He is among us. Uh, God resided in the Holy Holies, and with Elijah, there was a special uh, dispensation of the Spirit upon Elijah that he had been experiencing. So more than anybody else, he was Spirit-filled. He was probably what you would say the most Spirit-filled, and yet he still struggled with emotional resilience. Have you ever felt like this before? Have you ever felt like, man, I love the Lord. I get there on Wednesday nights. I am there on Sundays. If there was a Sunday night, I would be there. 
Okay, I am at the door when the doors are open. I read my Bible every day. I pray all throughout the day. I listen to worship music, K-Love, all the things, right? I tell people about Jesus. I got a Bible, you know, all over the place. I got it on my phone. But why am I losing my job? Why is my family crazy, <laughs> right? Why are my kids turning their back on God? Why do I feel like I cannot make a, in any, uh, uh, get ahead in life? Have you ever felt like that before? You got all the things going on. Why did we have COVID? Why did we experience death like we did? Why did we have the racial tensions that we did, the political turmoil, all the things? God, why when we're, I am pursuing you, I am still experiencing all the turmoil in my life, why God? When I see Jane over there experiencing God and, and falling on the altar and getting everything she asks for, why God? Why God? See, you could be the most spirit-filled person, yet still struggle with disappointment. What happens, too, is that when we get into this place where we realize that what we are feeling, um, what, like, what, I just want to say, like, what happens is, sorry, my thoughts are, like, all over the place tonight, so I need to get them, like, together. Um, when we are people who are spirit-filled, we, we put an expectation on our life to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to do certain things. And that's something that we all have to like, you know, work through. But it's there. And when we're spirit-filled filled people, when we begin to be in distress or dismay about what is going on, we can begin to put shame on top of the shame that we're already experiencing. Because I'm not feeling the way that I should and therefore I must be bad. Now I'm bad because I feel bad. Now I'm bad because I feel even worse. And, I can, and then you become in this uh, vicious cycle. And this is what happened to Elijah. It says in verse five, then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. I wanna give you an idea of what a broom tree is. It, it's a single tree that usually existed like on its own. It wasn't amongst other trees. So he is out in the wilderness. He finds just a broom tree and he just finds whatever shade he can get to. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and said, and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came and touched him and said, get up and eat, drink, eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, to the mountain of God. Okay, a couple things I want to point out here. First of all, when he laid down, while he was sleeping, the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. God is taking care of him. Wow, what a merciful God we serve. That in the midst of all your, your pity party, when you lay your head down on the pillow at night and you fall asleep thinking that the world is against you, God is still covering you. He is still ready to feed you, to provide for you. He will not give up on you. So touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there beside him, his head was some baked bread and hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. I really appreciate this story. Here's why. It's so real. Because think about this. Um, I, when, I, when I'm feeling bad, um, like I can barely get up. You know, sometimes you're just like laying there. Uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to even get up to go to the, the kitchen to eat. But you know you got to eat. So you kind of go in there and you kind of stuff like potato chips in your face. And, and then you just, you know, you go back to the couch and you keep Netflix and Netflix binging. And, and uh, that's, that's the modern day Elijah where he was at. Okay. Okay. Elijah, if there was Netflix, would have been binging something. Okay, he literally was laying on the couch, rolled over, stuffed his face on potato chips, and then went back to sleep. That's where Elijah was at, okay? So I love this story because it's so real. If you think, if you put it into context of our own life, it's so real. So he, uh, then the angel Lord came again and touched him. Get up and eat and drink some more. The one observation about that is that God does not give up. He is relentless. 
Listen, he's not going to, he, he, he doesn't want to let you go. Even in, your, in the midst of your own sorrow and pain and frustration and, and avoidance of him, he's going to pursue you. And listen, God is a gentleman. So he's not going to, uh, you know, hit you over the head with a uh, remote. He's going to bring you a plate of food. He's gracious and loving and provides for us. So he got up and ate and drank. The food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. Now, again, I want to point out to you, God, we don't see in the story that God said to Elijah to go to Mount Sinai. A lot of the commentaries I read said that it was probably a, a journey that he did. I agree. It's probably a journey he went on his own. Usually wilderness means uh, something that we go out to on our own. We, we experience, what's the wilderness? It's what we use to describe uh, when we, you know, maybe walk away from the Lord or, you know, whatever it might be. So he was in the wilderness. And yet, even in his wilderness, um, the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights. Even in your wilderness, God has got you. Even in the wilderness, God is going to take care of you. Will he be drawing you to the right place? Yes, but it's not going to look like him physically turning you to the right direction but he's going to graciously provide for you to draw him back to you, draw him, you back to him. So he gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to go on to do what he felt like he needed to do. Now let me explain to you, when I read this scripture, initially it was at a conference and we were kind of going over this, I recognized something that was happening in, in, into Elijah because I, I have studied this before and it's burnout. Burnout is a uh, condition similar to depression. It's not the same thing. It's an actual term. Usually, burnout, ex we experience this in our jobs. A lot of times, burnout happens with um, pastors or social workers, therapists, crisis workers, things like this. But it can happen to anybody. And let me tell you the symptoms of burnout. Exhaustion, isolation, escape fantasies. How do I get out of this? What if I could just run away? What if I could just take my car and drive somewhere? What if I could just go out to the wilderness for a little bit to get away from everything? Irritability. Frequent illness. So immediately when I read the scripture, I go, he's burnt out. He has been driving, doing, going, healing, providing miracles, telling the people, probably day and night, worrying about the Israelites, praying, asking God to move mountains. And he is burnt out. And when we begin to experience burnout, things like exhaustion, isolation, escape fantasies, and irritability, and frequent illness start to settle in. Listen, God is still with you in your burnout. God is still calling you in your burnout. He is still doing things in your burnout. And I know that this is a very specific message. And in fact, when I was preparing this message, I struggled with this portion because I thought, well, who, who is going to care about that? And, and what does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? And we're going to get to that in a second. But Elijah was experiencing burnout. And every one of us has the capability in our lives to experience burnout. So what do we do? Well, verse 9, it says, then he, there he, uh, there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken down their covenant with you, torn down altar, your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So we kind of get to the, the like, pinnacle of what Elijah is feeling. It's a woe me moment. It's a definite woe me moment. But again, I, what I love about this scripture is that it's keeping it real, okay? Here is Elijah, like the prophet of prophets, and he is straight up telling the Lord, listen, I have served you. I have done all the things. I have, I have zealously served you. And yet, your people still destroy you. They still try to destroy everything about you. And now I'm the only one left, and, and now they're trying to kill me too. I love this. It's real. Elijah is getting with his creator and telling him exactly how he feels. 
Listen, number three, the creator of our emotions is not afraid of our emotions. The creator of our emotions is not afraid of our emotions. There is nothing that you could tell him that would scare him away. There is no amount of anger that would push him away. There is no depth, no height. There is no thing that can separate you from the love of God. It is why we were created to be with him. It would go against his very nature to then turn to you and say, whoa, that was too much, I gotta get out of this. I got some boundaries I need to protect here, and so I'm gonna let you be you, and then I'm gonna go be me, and then you know maybe later on we'll take care of this. No, <laughs> nothing you could do can separate you from the love of God. And if you doubt this because you think, well, that's just this one story, I would invite you to read Psalms. I read Psalms every day. I used to not like Psalms, I'm gonna be honest. First of all, because I started to read them in the King James Version. Next, <laughs> nothing against King James readers, okay? It's really cool that you can read that and get it. I, I am amazed. I don't. I, was, I got saved in high school, and uh, I was reading the King James. I was like, whoa, this, this is a law I don't understand. And, um, and then I thought it was kind of whiny, and so I kind of like went this, like, like why I don't understand Psalms. And I learned more about it, and I just still wasn't feeling it until just really maybe five, six years ago, uh, again, I, was, um, I read through it every day, a psalm and a proverb every day, and for some reason, it started to hit me, and I started to realize, okay, I get it. This psalm is pouring out everything that I feel. I want to read to you Psalm 43. It's just an example. Verse 9. Oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. This is what I love about Psalms and the same reason why I love the story of Elijah because in the same breath that you begin to pour out the very core of your soul, the very depths of what you're feeling, at the same time it teaches us to turn around and also say, but God, but God. Listen, I don't understand why I lost my job, why my spouse left, why my house is not mine anymore, why my car is broken down. It's like a country song. I don't understand all this. But what I do know is, but God, but God, you're going to do something. And because of that, I can continue to praise you, and I will. And I felt that today in actually the worship. I felt it in this room, that there are a lot of you in a but God moment. So you're praising him. You're pressing into him. You're seeking the glory. You're speaking declarations over your life, over yourself, over this place, because you know you've seen what God can do. Verse 11, <coughs> it says, Get, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. I want to sit here for a second because I believe that this is what's happening in Madeira at Central Valley Church. Go and stand out before me on the mountain. See, Elijah is telling God off. You did this, this is happening, I don't like it, I don't want it. And God says to him, go out and stand before me on the mountain. God will, will lead us gently, and he requires us to get into his presence. That is where we need to be in the very presence of God. See, when you are burnt out, when you are depressed and filled with anxiety, and this is not a, like, and this is not a, um, you don't take medication because God's going to heal you kind of thing. You, listen, you, you go to your doctor, do all your things, but do not forsake the presence of God. Do not give up on the presence of God. Listen, if breathing in the presence of God means that you are in your room dancing around like a crazy person, you better do it, okay? If, if, if getting into the presence of God means that you need to go out to your car during lunchtime and turn on worship music as loud as you can, and just sit there and cry your eyes out, you better do it. If getting into the presence of God means that you come to church on Wednesday and Sundays, you better do it. If getting into the presence of God means that you have to let go of some friends, relationships in your life, you better do it. 
If getting into the presence of God means that you need to say to, to your family, look, we are going to seek God together. You need to lead them into the you got, you got to do it. See, whatever it takes, you have to get into the presence of God. I cannot, I cannot emphasize this. I cannot emphasize it enough. You must get into the presence of God. Several years ago, <coughs> I was dealing with some anxious feelings. I was feeling just anxious. That's all I can say about it. And I'll tell you literally what I did. I sat on the side of my bed. I Googled verses about anxiety. Thank you, Google. <laughs> 20 verses came up. I, I know what the verses. I can look at my concordance, but I just said Google will help me that day. <laughs> I sat on the side of my bed. I read 20 verses. Did I feel less anxious on the first verse? Absolutely not. Went to the second verse. Still felt pretty anxious. Got to the third verse. Still feeling it. God, I don't know if you're going to do it, but I'm going to read this because I believe what you have done. I'm, I believe you. I believe in your word. So I'm going to keep reading this. Fourth verse. Fifth verse. Sixth verse. All 20 verses. I don't even know how long it took me. I don't know anything about that, but I know about the end of 20 verses. The presence of God was so thick in my bedroom that all of the anxiety had completely gone away. See, God's peace was presiding in that place because I had sought his presence. Now, have I been anxious since then? 100%. It didn't go away. But I know from that moment that I would continue to get into the presence of, the, of, of God. It is our weapon. It is our weapon. See, when we worship, it's not to show everybody else that like, oh, we love God, we love God. No, we are using our weapon against the enemy. We are going against the battle. We are fighting. We are in the army. We are saying, God, we love you. We worship you. We won't give up on you. You have done for us. You are faithful. You are good. You are glorious. We love you. You are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There is nobody like you. Jesus, we need you, God. We need your presence. We love you, God. We love you, God. There is none like you. You are faithful, God. You are perfect. Your image is perfect, God. We need you. I want to say this about God's presence. When Elijah was there and God said, go out and stand before me on the mountain, he did it so that he would get into his presence. Now, there's a difference between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there was a veil that kept us from God. Because of our sin, there was a veil that kept, because we could not be in his presence or we would have to die. The journey of the Israelites was to return back to their God. That's everything you read, is to return back to God, to become um, his people. And so in the time of Elijah, to get into the presence was a very special thing, and it wasn't a thing that everybody could do. But oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. See, today, there is no veil. Today, the veil has been torn. See, today, the presence resides in this place among all of us. See, in the Old Testament, we could not be praying all together and expect the presence of God to show up in this place. It was full of rules about the Holy of Holies and the place we had to go to, and there was priests and, and robes and all kinds of regulations. But today, the veil has been torn because Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross so that every person could come to know God and spend eternal life with our Father. And now... Now we have the presence of the Holy Spirit to reside with us, and I, I want to take a second to read John 14. It's one of my favorite chapters in the, in the Bible, and Jesus is talking to his disciples. The book of John is very um, straightforward, and so he's talking to his disciples, and he says this in verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Okay, listen. They were about to lose who they thought was the conquering king. See, they thought Jesus was going to come and wipe out all the things. But Jesus says, oh no, there is another advocate coming, and that person will never leave you. He, excuse me, he is the Holy Spirit 
who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. Listen, God is so gracious and merciful. I will not abandon you. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am the Father, and you are me, and I am in you. And those who accept the commandments and obey are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each one of them. Um, let me keep going to verse 27. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is I give is a gift the world cannot give. So do not be troubled or afraid. Let me read that again. The peace I give you is a gift the world cannot be cannot give. The presence of God is a gift that the world cannot give. You cannot muster the presence of God outside of God. You cannot get, you cannot go to a store and buy the presence of God. You cannot go on Instagram and find an influencer and follow them to get the presence of God. The presence of God is something that he gives to us and it is full of peace and it is advocating for us. Remember what I told you, I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you'd be happy. <laughs> that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am because I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. Jesus was telling his disciples, listen, I gotta go, but there is somebody even greater. There is a presence coming. And what do we see happen in the New Testament? God moves majestically. Listen, God moves, people begin to speak in tongues they have never spoken in. God moves and by the masses they see people come to God. God moves and they begin to see healings. God moves and they see uh, nations change. God moves and they see a community of believers come, they see the birth of the church because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is the presence that we are talking about. Madeira, this is the presence that you need to be continue to get into. And I want to tell you something. If you do not go through trials, then you do not know what God can do. If you do not experience all the ways that God can save you, protect you, advocate for you, all the ways that he can make, things, make wrongs right, you will not know how much you need God. You, you, this is pain, the problem of pain. In your pain, God is doing something. And this is why I can read Psalms and identify with Psalms today, because I have experienced the depth of those, those pains. And now I can read those Psalms and know that God has done it for me before and he will do it for me again. Do not be afraid of your trials. Because God is doing something in them. He's preparing you in that trial. He's moving in you in that trial. He's laying a foundation for you that you've never had before that, that, will, be, that will speak to other people. He's doing things in you. Okay, I want to just, I want to finish real quick. I'm almost done. Number four, the mystery of God draws you in. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. This is the verse that you guys have all heard. It's been, t you read all the time. And the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of, uh, of the cave. I want to point a couple things out here. The Lord passed by and then there was a windstorm and then there was the, uh, an earthquake and then there was a fire and God wasn't speaking in those things. Now we know that the Lord passed by. We know that the Lord works in our lives and when he does, um, because we live in this world today, we will experience the fire, the storms, 
the earthquakes. And God isn't always speaking to you like we think he should, like he's some judging God up here, like I'm gonna send down an earthquake so all of you hear what I'm trying to say. First of all, God doesn't have an accent like that. (laughs) God's not sitting high up on his throne telling you something that you're doing wrong. He's not trying to judge you into obedience. But he is allowing for things to happen. Because again, when you experience the storms, the earthquake, the fires, there will be a deeper well where lies a need for God. See, when you experience the depths of certain pain, there's a thing inside you that God will reach down into when, you, when you've gone, walked through the fire, and your God meets you there, you will know that God has walked with you the, through the fire. When the earthquake comes and destroys everything and God meets you in the depths of that destruction, you will now know that God meets you there. God is doing something, but there I want to end, there, the this thing I want to say, again, my words are not coming tonight, forgive me, It says that, and there after the fire was the sound of a gentle whisper. Mama, what are you saying? God whispered to Elijah. He didn't get his attention in the earthquake, the fire, the storm. He got his attention, Elijah. Hey, come here. I'm your God. Come, be in my presence. I love you. I don't want to be dramatic about that, but it hits me every time. He's in the whisper. He's calling you gently. He's asking you to come and hear him, and he's not doing it in a violent way, but it's the gentle whisper that drew Elijah. And then the voice said, what are you doing? There, Elijah says again, let me get real with you, Lord. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Now, every time I've heard this story, I always hear it as Elijah is so hard-headed he doesn't get it. Right? Something happens here. God asks a question, Elijah gets real with God, God asks the question again, and Elijah says the same thing. How many of you have kids, and when your kid says the same thing to you, and you know very well that you want them to say something different, it is infuriating. Like, that is not the answer I wanted you to give me the second time, right? So that's our frame of reference, that he was so hard-headed that he was still yelling at God. But I want to point something out to you, again, reading this over and over again. What happens right before God, uh, Elijah hears the whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. It's a very important verse. And like I said, I I studied this a lot and I did not see this many times. So I'm not going to say this is the absolute interpretation, but I I I, I do believe that this is something significant. See, what Elijah did, and when he heard the whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak, which is a symbol of humility. See, he recognized that he could not face his God just as he was, but he must humble himself so that he could go meet his God. See, Elijah was submitting to God. He wasn't brazenly going out there, well, let me tell you again, God. 
So I want to say it's like this. The first time Elijah says it like, God, you messed up. Look at me. Look what you've done. God whispers to him, and then Elijah, honest and broken, humble and contrite, he replies again, God, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets, and now I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Do you hear that? See, he was honest in both anger and he was honest in humility. And just because we humble ourselves before our God does not mean that we stuff all of the emotions down or all of the pain down. Hum, humility does not mean that we just forget about ourselves. Humility means that we bring all of ourselves and submit that to God. Humility means that we bring all of our pain to God. It means that we bring everything that we are and we say, God, in spite of all this, but God, in spite of all these things, I believe still in you. He examined himself. He leaned into God. He got into this presence and he heard his voice, but it did not change his circumstances. So number five, the testimony. And this is where I'm gonna leave you guys. What did not change is Elijah's testimony. When I'm telling people about how to tell their testimony, I tell them, I want to hear what, what your life like was before, what God did, and what your life is like now. What was your life like before, what did God do, and what's your life like now? That is not denying any of the circumstances in your situation but it is allowing God to show up and show out to, to reveal all his glory that in spite of all of your circumstances, God did something and now here you are. And here we see a testimony of Elijah because in verse 15 it says, then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came. This is why I think that it was, he wasn't supposed to go to the wilderness because, because God's now saying, okay, we're gonna go back to, the, to where you were before and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be the king of Aram, and then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel, and anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, from the town of, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael would be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu would be killed by Elisha. And I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Here is Elijah's testimony. He went through it, God did something, and now God is making his life, restoring to him, and not just restoring to him, but continuing on the mantle that Elijah already had. He was a prophet, he was meant to anoint Elisha, God is completing that mission, he's saying go back, do what you were called to do, complete all those things, and then he is saying, oh, by the way, remember when you told me that you are all alone? Remember when you came out here and you thought that you were the only one left? Well, I got 7,000 of you back at the camp. You're not fighting this alone. So, Elijah, get back to it. You're not alone. I've done something in you. I'm restoring you back to where you were. You are going to do what you were called to do. And folks, I want to tell you today that, that in the midst of the last year and a half, when dreams were crushed, when things went haywire, when our doors closed in the building, we thought that, lots of us thought, man, this will never return to what it was, but your life is going to be restored. The things that were taking you will be returned tenfold, sevenfold, whatever it is. The church will, re, will be, will be, um, will thrive. God is still doing something in you. What you lost, he will restore. And maybe it was your relationship with him. Maybe it was the very core of who you are got all jumbled up and messed up and you don't know where you are now. I'm here to tell you today that God is restoring to you what was lost. He is asking you to go back to where you were and to get into his presence, to be with him. By the way, you are not alone. You are not alone. You've got this community of believers. You've got the body of Christ to be with you today. 
So we're gonna pray and, and we can have the uh, music, the keys if you don't mind, or however you guys. I know I just, I just gave you a lot and I really felt like the Lord was giving me that message. In fact, I don't think I said this in the beginning, but I felt so much at peace about this message that I was worried. I, I thought, like, am I cheating somehow? I don't know. I just feel weird. Like, I feel, should feel, like, really anxious. But, um, but I also knew that sometimes when that happens, I don't know exactly what I'm going to say. So I really thank you guys for listening because you're not listening to me. You're listening to the Lord. So if you're here today, and we're not going to bow. We're not going to do that because you guys, we've already done some, like, ministry here, Okay. We've just poured out our hearts and cried ugly cries and, and, and stuff. So we're, we're not going to bow our heads. If you're here today and you have been lacking the presence of God and today you're ready to say, I will not forsake the presence at any cost. I want you to stand if that is you today. I will get into the presence for at whatever it takes, I will do what I need to do. If that is you, go ahead and stand. We need you, God. We need you, God. We need you, God. We need you, God. Okay, saints, we're all standing. We want to be in the presence of God. We are committing to being with him, to fighting the fight with him, to using um, all of the weapons that he's given us to, to force back hell. Today, if you have lost something, something has been destroyed in whatever. It could be outside of COVID. I don't care. You're burnt out. You're depressed. You're grieving. Whatever it might be. And you cannot see your way out of your sorrow. I want to ask you today to raise your hand. And we're going to pray for you. We got the saints here. We got the 7,000 here, folks. And then today, keep your hands raised. I want to ask if there is anybody that might be in this room that you have walked away from God. Truly, you have said, God, you, you don't know what you're doing, and I'm walking away from you. And you know what? I'm never coming back. Maybe, maybe you are just here because your family's here. Maybe you're here because it's the right thing to do. I don't know. But if today you need to get back to the presence of God, get back to your God who is, by the way, whispering to you, come back. If that is you today, and you want to make your way back to God, raise your hand. Jesus, we love you, God. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness, your whisper. We thank you for the expression of your spirit in each one of us, God. It's different because you have created us like that. God, I pray for every believer to here today that is committing to get into your presence, that is committing to do it at all costs, whether they look like a fool or whether they look like a saint, God. They're committing to, to do it, to get into your presence at all costs. So God, I pray, the first prayer is that the fire of God would fall down in this place, Jesus. That the fire of God would fall down in this place, God. I pray for tongues of fire in this place, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill the believers, God. I pray if there is somebody in this room that doesn't have the gift of the Spirit, God, you would fill them with words, Jesus. God, I pray for the, the Acts Church experience in this house tonight, God. Lord, that as in, we're in your presence, Lord, you would help us to fight like an army, God, to bring saints into this house, God, to bring back the lost into this house, Jesus, to bring back people into this family, God. We believe it, Jesus. And I'm standing with an army that loves you, that's committing to be in your presence. And so, God, I pray against the enemy in Jesus' name that would tell one believer when they come out of this, walk out of this place, that that was the dumbest thing that you ever heard. I pray against that in Jesus' name right now. I pray against the enemy that will wake somebody up tomorrow morning and go, you don't need to get in the presence. You need to get to work. I pray against that in Jesus' name right now. I pray against the enemy that would try to tell somebody that they don't need anybody else, that they can get into the presence just all by themselves without anything, anybody. Um, yes, God, we can get with you on our own, but we need you people. So I pray against the enemy that would try to isolate people, isolate people in the name of presence. 
I pray against the enemy that will try to some, tell somebody this next week that what they experienced tonight was fake. I pray against that in Jesus' name. I pray against the enemy that will tell that person, you didn't do that. That was not real. That was all made up, conjured up, emotional. It's all emotional. I pray against that in Jesus' name. Because yeah. in Jesus' name, your presence is full of peace. Yes, God. Your presence is full of abundance, God. Your presence is never ending. And there's nothing that can separate us from you, oh God. You are our king. You are our Lord. We worship you, Jesus. So God, I just, I ask for your glory to fall, God. For your presence to be with us wherever we go in Jesus' name. God, I pray for the people that have lost, God, that need to be restored. And God, we stand here as a big family. We stand here as a big army. We stand here as 7,000 full people, God. And we ask, Lord, for the what has been lost to be restored. I pray that tonight it would be restored, Jesus. I ask for the people that are grieving in Jesus' name that the hope would be restored to them, God. Those that are grieving, I ask, Lord, that you would remind them of words that you've told them before that, that death or things that have been taken them from them are not their identity in Jesus' name, God. But you are our identity. You call this holy Jesus. So I pray, God, that you would restore back to them their mind, their spirit, their hope, God, their, their, their perseverance, Jesus. I pray for jobs that have been lost, God, if that's in this room. I pray that you would restore that tenfold, God. I pray for raises. I pray for promotions. I pray for jobs and jobs and jobs and jobs, God. I pray for health, Jesus. Things that have been that have been taken, God, our health that has been taken, I pray, God, that you would restore to us the strength that we need to overcome that sickness, God. Sometimes it's not your will to heal us right then, but, God, you will give us strength. And so, God, I pray that you would give us an abundance of strength and healing, God. God, we are an army, and we will rise up. We will rise up with you, Jesus. We worship you, God. We give you praise, God. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends. It helps us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting